If you have a Bible, whether it's an app or the thing made of stuff we call paper, your choice. So you can tap an app or find in your Bible uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21 is where I want to be with you today. Matthew 21, uh, not the whole chapter, so don't get nervous. Right? Just a few verses, right? In this chapter, uh, there is a story that Jesus tells about two sons. And it doesn't, it doesn't get much press or attention because many of us are very familiar with, wait a minute, I thought Jesus told a story about two sons, or prodigal son, two sons, in Luke 15. I've heard sermon after sermon on that passage, and we all, we all have, right? Sunday school, lectures in, in, in seminary, you know, in chapel services, church services, Luke 15. Everybody's seen that movie at least once. We know that one. But Matthew 21, there's a shorter story that Jesus tells about two sons that doesn't get a lot of press, may not have as many sermon notes or lesson notes uh, on this one, and that's why I want to talk about it with you. And it, it's, not con it's conveying a different message than the Luke 15 story. Different context, different intent, different drama. And we're going to look at it. It begins in uh, Matthew 21 at verse... 28. That's where the, the actual story starts. But to kind of get the gist of why Jesus tells it, you have to read a few verses earlier. If you start in Matthew 21 and go all the way to really the end of the gospel, but at chapter 27, you're just dealing with one conflict after another. Have you ever had to go to, I don't know, maybe a family reunion or a Baptist church business meeting? Or you know, maybe, maybe a meeting at work or at school, and you know it's going to be unpleasant. It is, you may not necessarily be directly involved. You may or may not have to be a recipient of what's about to come, but you have to be there for other parties, and you don't want to go. You don't want to, there's no, there is no amount of Jesus prayer that's going to eliminate tension and conflict when you go to that meeting. It's going to happen. You know, it's just not fun. It's just not fun. And when you start reading Matthew 21 and you go all the way to 27, it is a war that is just brewing, 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 brewing. And then Jesus dies. <laughs> when someone dies, that's pretty dramatic tension. So it, it, it's just grinding bone on bone conflict. And 21 I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't slowly begin. I mean, it is a NASA spaceship launch. I mean, you start reading chapter 21, Jesus comes into Jerusalem for, the, for, the, for Passover. I mean, that's where people, Jews from all over the Roman Empire, the Mediterranean world, they're all trying to make their way. I mean, imagine, let's see, let's imagine just the population of Dallas coming to Marshall tomorrow. Uh, I, I, that's going to be culture shock and a lot of other things. That's a lot of people. My father-in-law would say that would be like ants, people like ants just everywhere. I mean, you'd be overwhelmed. Just, so, so Jerusalem's got lots of people, lots of people. And we talk about Passion Week, Jesus coming into Jerusalem for Passover. It's his last time. Uh, in his earthly ministry where he's going to do this. And there are all kinds of people that are excited because the masses, they all have their perceptions of who they think Jesus is and what they want him to do. And some of them are on track and a lot of them are not. 
But here's the thing. Everybody wants to follow Jesus on Twitter. Everybody's doing selfies. Everybody is crazy about Jesus. But you have this other party, this other faction, who are the Jewish elites, the leaders of Jerusalem. And they know that if the masses follow Jesus, even if their intents are you know, ill-informed, if they follow Jesus, that means they're not going to follow them. And when you have people in power, one thing that's a very common theme is people in power don't like losing power. And so, again, right at the beginning of the chapter, drama, tension, conflict, clash of the titans, you might say, right? And so it's right in the middle of all that that you drop down to verse 23, Matthew 21, verse 23, and Jesus is now in the outer courts of the temple. Think of it like a Bucky's. You drive into Bucky's, okay, you got your gas station, and then you walk to the outer part. Okay, they always sell tents. There are always tents and chairs and coolers right there at the outside. And then there's, is it Bucky, the big statue? You can get your picture taken. And then you go in, and then you get the initial Cracker Barrel experience. You know, all your little doodads, okay? That's the outer court. And then you keep, and then eventually you reach the Holy of Holies where they sell the barbecue. That's the Holy of Holies. Dead animals, that's of God to eat dead. That's a, so you got different layers. So Jesus is in the outer court where the masses can be, and he's teaching. He's preaching. And as you read the Gospels, he also performs miracles. Think, you got to recognize, by this time in Matthew 21, people know who Jesus is. All right? They don't need social media when you're dealing with an area where Jesus has been live on tour everywhere in Galilee and Judea, even in Gentile territories to the east of the Jordan. People know, they may not, have, they may not be eyewitnesses to things that Jesus has done, but people have heard about it. And so he, when Jesus entered the temple area, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. Again, these are the PhDs. These are not just you know, local pastors. These are like archbishops. Right? These are the, 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 what I would call the denomocrats. I mean, these are the, the big denominational bigwigs. They, and Jesus is in Jerusalem in the temple area. I mean, they're too close to their headquarters. And so they come to Jesus as he was teaching. So they interrupt a class. Can you imagine Jesus being in a class or here in church and speaking and somebody comes in and just interrupts the whole service and challenge? I mean, if you're going to challenge Jesus, you better... Well, I don't know if there's a good situation to challenge Jesus, but this is definitely a really bad one, right? And they come to Jesus as he's teaching and they don't even have a greeting. They just come and they lay a charge at his feet. They... Ask him a question. Notice, they don't say, prove to us that you can perform miracles. I mean, that, that happens in other passages. They can't do that now. <laughs> Jesus has done all kinds of stuff in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, Galilee, the Decapolis, Tyre, Sidon. I mean, there's, they, they would be completely discredited if they just dismissed everything Jesus has been doing. But they do have a strategy. They ask him this question. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Who gives you the authority to come in here and teach the people in the temple area? 
Who gives you authority to be coming in here being called the son of David? Who gives you authority to do the miracles you're doing? Who gives you this authority? So they can't question he has authority. Can't do that. But what is the authority? Are you a false prophet? Are you a poser? Are you manipulating the people with evil powers? By what authority are you doing all these things that you're doing? It's not a trivial question. It's an important question to the Jewish minds. Very important question. And Jesus answers them. Verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 24. Jesus answered them. Now, when it says there, Jesus answered them, uh, my fav- one of my favorite Bible translations is the BSV, the Barry Standard Version. Okay, And in the Barry Standard Version, I haven't published it yet. In the Barry Standard Version, put a footnote here. It says, Jesus answered them, footnote there after them, and the footnote says, Jesus knows they don't want an answer to the question. (laughs) When Jesus is going to answer them, and he knows they do not care about following him. They're not going to follow him, no matter what he says, because if they follow him, that means they don't have power anymore. They're going to say that their power actually is delegated to him, which means he's in charge and... That's not a popular thing. Not a very popular thing to do. Jesus knows that. He knows they're not concerned about the right answer to the question. That's a dangerous thing about asking Jesus questions. It's not just obviously he knows the answers. He knows your motives. I remember my, my son Brian was younger. We were in his superhero phase. He, he asked me one time when he was little, Dad, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? And bless us already had a professor. He has a professor as a dad. I didn't say flying or bulletproof or I said, my superpower, I wish I could read people's motives and thoughts. And then a few seconds later, talking to him, I said, you know what? I retract that. I'd be, I, don't, I don't need another reason to be depressed. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know that much. But here Jesus answers them, and he knows their motives. Here's the, re- here's the way you know he knows their motives. He doesn't just answer their question. <laughs> he doesn't just say, oh, that's easy, from heaven. No, 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 no. You, ask, you, you come and interrupt my class and you're asking me a question to challenge me, and you really don't have any desire to get the answer, you are going to join the class, whether you like it or not. And so what does Jesus do? I tell you what, Jesus answers, I will ask you one question. And if you answer it for me, then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. You're going to interrupt my class. You're going to challenge me here in public. Okay. I'll answer your question if you give me the honor of asking you one question. Let's make a deal. That's not a good idea. <laughs> make a deal. Make a deal. That's not a good idea. But hey, now you came in and you challenged him, so now you're stuck. And so notice what they do. Verse 25, Jesus asked them a question. Did John, John the, not John the disciple, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, but John, you read Matthew's gospel, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, or John, I call him Johnny B, right? That John, the guy who ate bugs and honey, that prophet. Did John's baptism come from heaven or was it of human origin? In other words, was John a prophet or not? He preached a message of repentance to prepare the way for the coming uh, one who would give the spirit and bring judgment and salvation. Was he legit or not? Now that is an easy question. I asked the a group in the first service, 
Uh, the lowest level of Awanas, if y'all have ever heard of Awanas, the lowest group is Cubbies, and that's like three, four years old. And then I think, what was it, Brother Mark? Was Sparks? Sparks is like five and six years old, I think. So, you know, Sparks, you start learning, okay, you know, some good basic stuff, David, Goliath, things like that. This is a Sparks-level question. By what authority did John the Baptist have do what he did? That's, it's an easy, and the chief priests and elders, these are, again, they are the PhDs. They know the Old Testament inside and out. And this is an easy question. Two plus two, boys and girls. But notice what they do. He asks the question. He, he, gives their, he gives them the simple question. And notice the next part of verse 25. Time out. They call time out. And they huddle up. They form a committee. Huddle up. Come on, guys. Come on. Huddle up. What? Okay. And they start talking about this. Talking about it? You're going to dispute what two plus two is? They start discussing amongst it, but here's the thing. They're smart. Look, some of the, in the group said, look, if we say from heaven, if we say that John was a prophet, if we say his authority was from heaven, then Jesus is going to say to us, then why didn't we believe him? Because they did it. If you read the gospels, when the chief priests and elders would send out their cronies to the Jordan, John didn't have nice things to say about them because John knew they weren't they had no intent of repenting. They would come out there and John would say, why do we have more snakes in our midst? Wait, you're just a brood of vipers. You're not here to repent. You're here to investigate and see the show. You have no intentions of repenting. So John was hardcore and they didn't believe him. And so here in this huddle, well, look, if we say that John was a prophet sent from heaven and that baptism was legitimate for repentance to prepare for the kingdom to come. If we say yes, then we indict ourselves. We condemn ourselves if we say yes. But then some others in the group, excuse me, verse 26, but wait a minute, wait a minute. But if we say of human origin or of man or, you know, it wasn't from heaven, then we're afraid of the crowd because everybody considers John to be a prophet. So if we say that John was not legit, then we plummet in the polls. We're going to have all kinds of people who are not going to vote for us in the next election. We're not going to be, we're not going to have any credibility among the public. Man, what do we do? If we say John was a prophet, we condemn ourselves. And then if we say no, uh, in another way we condemn ourselves because the, the masses are not going to listen to us because they all think John was legit. Well, bless their hearts, what are they going to do? They play politics. Now, I know that we don't do that today in our 2023. I know that we have leaders that when they're posed with important questions, they give straight from the heart and from the hip answers. They never dodge questions. I know that doesn't happen today, but it happened in the first century. You believe that? They actually are going to try to dodge the question. I, I'm just so thankful that we don't do that today. But they did it here. What do they say? What do these people, what do these guys say in front of the crowds to the question about John? This is what they come back with. Verse 27. So they answered, we don't know. The feeling I get when I read that is the same feeling I get in a Dallas Cowboy playoff game. I mean, you're expecting or you want to expect something, but you consistently get the same thing. 
another loss. As a Cowboys fan, my slogan is say nope to hope. That's my slogan. Just say, once you expect disappointment, you will never be disappointed. And you're able, to, you're able to survive. And here, we don't know. Are you kidding me? You're going to punt on what is two plus two. We'll get back to you on that. That's what politicians do. But notice here, Jesus is not going to let him off the hook. Okay, we don't know. Oh, man, if I'm in the crowd, man, that was almost a good one. Jesus almost got a, got a zinger on them. They, got, they wiggled their way out. No, 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 no. Nope. Jesus says to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Look, if you're not going to answer my question, I'm not going to play your game. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't say it. But again, another footnote, you are going to answer my question. You are going to answer it. Whether you know it or not, you're going to answer. How is Jesus going to get these yahoos to answer his question? Well, that sets the stage for the parable. Jesus tells a parable. You know when you're growing up, if you're outside playing and your mother or dad say your first name, Johnny, it's time to eat. Okay, that's just alarm number one. But then eventually, Johnny Smith, get in here, it's time to eat. Okay, now that's getting kind of serious. But then eventually, Johnny Reed Smith, now it's DEFCON 3. Now you know, if you don't go answer the call, all the sealed judgments, the bold judgments, and the trumpets of Revelation are all going to fall upon your life if you don't go in. If they say all three names... And that also counts for husbands, too, if your wife says, you know, one name, two names, three names. That's the level of death com one, death com two, death com three, right? And here, when Jesus does something like, there was a man in a far land, or there was this, this, when Jesus starts to tell parables, don't think Disney princess, don't think Little Mermaid, which is, didn't that come out this weekend, the live action? Don't think princess movies. Oh, it's so sweet. Children come around. Jesus is going to tell a story. No, 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 no. When Jesus tells a parable, as they say in Star, in Star Wars, it's a trap. Right? No, no, no. He's setting you up. He's getting you to think that everything's sunshine and rainbows and the little birds humming. Ah! You know, Snow White singing or Ariel. Oh, that's so sweet. Jesus telling a story. And then before you know it, oh, he was actually setting me up to confront me with something I didn't want to confront. That's what you got to think of me, keep in mind. Parables a lot of times are bear traps that look really good. You don't make a mouse trap look ugly. You put cheese on it, right? You want it to be, you want it to be appealing to the mouse so it never eats cheese again. It's going to have its last piece of cheese, right? I mean, the perfect example of this is the Old Testament with David, right? David commits all of his sinful shenanigans with Sheba and has Uriah killed and just, just horrible. But David thinks he gets away with it. Then eventually Nathan, the prophet, comes to confront David. How are you going to get the king to confess to all this stuff? How in the world are you going to go to politicians and make them confess openly what it is they've done? How is that going to work? Because a lot of times the people asking the questions are just as corrupt as the politicians that are corrupt. Well, how in the world does that work? You get a prophet who tells a parable. 
You get the king to let his guard down and then get, his emotion, get emotionally invested in the story. Then you pull the trigger. Or if you like fishing, pull the hook. That's what Nathan does, right? What does Nathan do? You got the rich man and the poor man. The rich man's got all kinds of sheep and herds. The poor man has one little lamb and raises it from a baby and you know has it you know, sleeps at the foot of his bed and um, eats there at the end of the table. You know, it's, it's this little pet lamb and it's just pets and loves it. And you know, David, he was a shepherd. He probably had a lamb like that. I imagine David, I remember little Annie. I mean, David's just get, and then the rich man takes the one lamb from the poor man and you know, just veins popping out on David's neck, you know, turning red. And then you read this, David doesn't even let Nathan finish the story because David knows prophets don't come to meet you to tell stories. Prophets, if they're telling parables, it's for a reason. And David just cuts to the chase. Whoever the person is, wait a minute, he knows it's a story, but they don't tell stories just to tell stories. There's a point. Whoever that person is, they're going to pay. And then they, you're right. They are. This is payday, David. Wow. That's what, see, when, so when Jesus says, there was this or there was that, don't think Disney princess. Think mm, John Wick or... Batman in a bad mood, okay? It's, or Lord of the Rings, the clouds of Mordor are coming over the land, right? Not because Jesus is dark, but because you know Jesus is doing this because he's going to confront something that you don't want to confront for good purposes. Well, what happens? Now, now, now you're ready for the story. So Jesus, okay, they won't answer the question about authority of John. So, hey, what do you think? Okay, you wouldn't answer a two plus two. Let's try zero plus zero. Let's try that. Let's try that. Let's see if you can answer that question. What do you think? A man had two sons. That's simple enough. And he went to the first, firstborn son, and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. Now, again, it's a story. But just to kind of put some things in place for us, number one, when it says, my son, go work in the vineyard, the idea is not simply what we would mean today if we told a son, go mow the grass, or a daughter, go take out the trash, or clean your room, or something. It's not just a matter of a chore. It's a matter of go do something that is a part of who we are as a family. The vineyard is a vineyard that is in the, what we call the family business. In our day, most of, the, most of us don't do, the, most of, men in here, most of you probably don't do for a living what your dad did for a living. Now, there are exceptions. There are family businesses where you might, but it, it's not as common today as it has been in generations gone by. But in Jesus' day, it was very common for sons to take up the trades of their dads and, and learn it from a youth. So here, the idea, my son, go work in the vineyard. Go take care of, you know, the, this vineyard is the family vineyard. It, it could be, you know, my father's vineyard and father before him, great granddad's vineyard. It's a part of who we are. <clears throat> and so, son, go work in the vineyard today. Go do what the family does. That's what makes this part of the story so shocking. 
The next verse, verse 29, that son answered, no, or I don't want to. Again, not whiny teenager, I don't want to. No, not, I got Xbox to play. No, that's, that's not the idea. It's the son is saying no to the father to go work in the vineyard. I mean, there, there's a, we don't have much of a shame honor culture today because we're much more individualistic. But here, there would be kind of a gasp. The son said, what? The son did what? I mean, in real life, if that son said that, the next verse of the story would be, and the father lowered the boom on that son. But again, it's a story. The son said no. And notice, the story doesn't say why the son said no, because it doesn't matter. All that matters is the son said no. But notice, but later changed his mind and went. Again, there's no timetable because it doesn't matter in the story. Does, I mean, an hour later, a day later, a few hours later, a few minutes later, it doesn't matter. The point of the story is the one son was told to do something. He gave the wrong response, but then later repented, changed his mind, turned from that, that initial decision and went and worked in the vineyard. That's simple enough. But, but remember, it's a story about two, not one. So then the father, then the man went to the other, the other son, and said the same thing. Go work in the vineyard. And notice here, some translations say, I will lord or I will serve. The idea here is a, basically a statement of respectful overkill. I mean, it's, it's not just your dad. It's like a thousand yeses, oh great one. I mean, it's, just, it's as respectful as you can be. It's the same kind of idea, same kind of uh, language used, for instance, in the Old Testament when Samuel is being called by the Lord as a boy in the temple and Samuel's kind of wondering, did I eat anchovies on my pizza last night? Or, I'm hearing voices here. What is that? And Eli says, no, 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 go listen. And then eventually Samuel says, here am I, Lord. I'm here, Lord. Or, you know, the famous passage in Isaiah 6, who will go for us? Who can we send? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. Same kind of idea. I will, Lord. I will go. You can't get any more respectful than that. And, the, and the, here the audience would go, that's what a son should say. But the next part of the story, but he didn't go. And notice it doesn't say, and he later changed his mind and went. He gave the right answer in the story, but didn't go. And so now Jesus, verse 31, okay, let's see if we can answer this question, guys. Which of the two did his father's will? Now, I will confess right here, those guys should have done the same thing they did when Jesus asked the first question. They should have huddled up. They should have huddled up and they should have punted somehow again because somehow, someway, someone or someone in the group, they thought, oh, that's easy. They said the first. Oh, oh, they answered the question. Oh, if you answer Jesus' questions, oh, man. Be ready for the outcome. They said, well, of course the first son did. 
That's easy. And they don't think it's politically charged. That's what the parable did. See, the parable, oh, you're just talking about two sons. Yes, no. That's not what Jesus is not simply talking about two sons. He's talking about them, as we'll see. But they don't know that, so they answer the question. That's why Jesus is the master. That's what parables do. Don't think sunshine and rainbows and tweety birds and fairies flying with parables. No, you go boop, boop, alert, alert. Jesus is about to slam me to the wall. Alert, because that's what he's going to do. What does he say? They said the first. And then Jesus said, truly, I tell you that the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. In a nutshell, basically, the people that you would say are not even in line to go into the kingdom of God are getting inside the door before you even get in line. But again, it's not just all random tax collectors and prostitutes. The idea is those who are, everybody knows, have said no to the Lord, some of them are now turning and repenting and following Jesus and his message, and they're entering into the kingdom. But these chief priests and elders are not. And then, verse 32, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to answer my quiz question for you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. His authority was from heaven. And you didn't believe him. And again, remember, all this, Jesus is saying all this, not just the chief priests and elders, but with all the public watching. So, so he is exposing them and confronting them in front of an audience because they came, in, they came in and interrupted his audience. John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But when you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe it. The chief, if the chief priests and elders were genuinely concerned about the well-being of Israel, and they saw those that were in most dire immoral lifestyles turning from those lives. Because here's the thing, tax collectors and prostitutes, there's one common thing they held together, money. You could rip people off, and Rome didn't care as a tax collector, and you could make money, as we call it, with the world's oldest profession, make money. And they were willing to turn money away to follow Jesus. That's following Jesus. Remember Zacchaeus? Remember when he gets converted? He's, you know, he makes lots of money. And it says that he invites Jesus to his house. They're having a party. And then Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay people back for the stuff I've defrauded them and ripped them off. And I'm going to pay them interest. Now that's impressive. You pay interest back on money you ripped off. Mob bosses, I'm going to pay back everybody I ripped off and pay interest on it. That's why Jesus says, Surely salvation's come to this house. <laughs> there is nothing that would make sense of that except salvation. And here, these, these prostitutes, and they're both coming into the kingdom. They don't care about why they do what they do because they found something more valuable, the kingdom of God. And you would think if chief priests and elders of Israel, if they saw that happening, they would want to think, what are they following? What's making that kind of transformation? What's eliciting that kind of change? But instead they're saying, I want nothing to do with that. That can't be of God. And Jesus' point here is, you say all the right things about the God of Israel. 
You say all the right things with all the right words, but you never go into the vineyard and work. You never go into the kingdom. You never become a part of it. Why? Because you don't like the people who are becoming a part of it. But Jesus makes the point, look, the first son said all the wrong things initially, but repented and went to the vineyard and worked. The issue isn't how many times we fall down or fail or reject. Do we turn, repent, and have forgiveness and restoration? That's all that matters. But for all of us, especially in Baptist circles, we have all the right things to say. We have all the right handshakes, all the right praise music, all the right chairs, all the right carpet, all the right lighting, all the right buildings, all the right stuff. But when it comes to working in God's vineyard, sometimes it's 20% of the church that's doing 90% of the labor in the vineyard. And the thing is, the only people who work in the vineyard in the story our family. The family is the one that gets to work in the Father's vineyard. Not servants down here and the hierarchy up here. There is no hierarchy. The people that are in the fields and in the house serving are the brothers and sisters because they're all heirs of everything they're working in. <laughs> they're all heirs. And not only that, the Father is with them in the vineyard. It's not like, yeah, go out and work today in the heat. I'll see you tonight. No, 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 no. The Father sends us to serve Him, and He's there with us because we're His sons and daughters. Everything that we're doing. But it doesn't matter if we say that's what we're doing. It doesn't matter that the son said, yes, Lord, or yes, sir, or yes, dad, or whatever. Salute, I'll be... No, it doesn't matter if the father goes out to look in the vineyard and nobody's there working. Nobody's there serving. And as you keep reading in Matthew, Jesus tells other parables that basically says, well, if you won't work, we'll give the job to somebody who will. We'll give it to somebody else who will be blessed, who will see it as a privilege to be in the vineyard, to work. So my challenge for all of us, when we're reading this, this story and seeing what Jesus does with it, is to recognize that the Lord saves us. The Lord makes us His sons. We're all sons because we're all heirs. It's the idea. And because we're all heirs, now everything we get to do in service is done because we're a part of the household. And this is why Jesus says elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, why would you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? Story here, why would they tell the Father, yes, Lord, you know, what's the princess bride? You use that word. I do not think you, it means what you think it means. You keep saying Lord. I don't think you understand what Lord means. Lord does not mean I'll think about what Lord says for me to do. No, that's not what Lord means. No, no Roman soldier who called Caesar Lord of the earth, which they did, thought when Caesar commanded to do something that they could think about it. <laughs> If Caesar said, do this, you did it. Why? Because Caesar's Lord. Okay. But here, Jesus, if you're going to call me Lord, okay. Just make sure you know what it means. <laughs> Just make sure you understand that even though we got the same glossary, you need to use my dictionary. 
<laughs> Not, you don't get to have my glossary, but use your dictionary. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to use my word, you have to look at my dictionary, WikiJesus, instead of Wikipedia. Yeah, you have to use my dictionary to understand the word. And then once you absorb that, okay, now you realize if I say go work in the vineyard, that means you go. And when you go, here's the thing, when you go, we think of go work in the vineyard as labor and sweat, especially in Texas, hot, right? No, no, no. You go work in the vineyard, you're blessed. You're blessed when you get there. You get to eat from it and work together with others. And you realize, oh, this, I mean, yeah, this is labor, but it's not what I thought it was. No, it's not. You find out that it's a privilege to be a son, to be a daughter, to be an heir. And here's the thing. You may say, well, if I'm honest with myself, it depends on the day of the week. There may be, there's some Mondays where I'm the first son. I say no and then later get right and go. But then on Thursdays and Fridays, a lot of times I'm that second son. Well, here's the thing. That second son can repent too. The second son who said the right thing but didn't go, he can repent too. He can turn and go, you know what? I lied, Dad. I said I would go. I didn't go. Okay, I knew you. I knew you did. Well, can I have another chance? Why are you talking to me? Go to work. Of course you can. But you have to turn. You have to come home. You can't experience the graciousness of the Father unless you can turn to Him. But when you do, you find out you try to make an appointment with him and you find out he's been waiting on you the whole time to be restored and to be blessed and be used. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you, Lord. It encourages, it confronts, it rebukes, it comforts, it heals, it restores. Lord, it's, your word says that it's alive and powerful, and it does things. And I pray that it would do that today. Lord, there might, there might be some here this morning that are like the first son. Lord, you've been dealing with them about some things in their life. Maybe there's someone who doesn't know Christ here, and your Spirit's been working on their hearts, and they keep saying no for different reasons. <clears throat> but today, they're feeling that provoking in their hearts, Lord, and they know they need to become a part of your household, your family, give their lives to Christ, or maybe they know you and they've said no to certain areas of their life and they need to repent of that and let those areas of their life be given to you. Or maybe there's others here, Lord, they are really good at saying yes to you, giving all the right verbiage, but they're AWOL when it comes to serving, living for you. I pray that you would convict them, restore them, or whatever needs whatever area someone may be in with regard to their walk with you, I pray today that your spirit would work in their hearts so that they can recalibrate, reorganize, reshuffle, and walk out of here restored, redirected, and refocused. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.